0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. You know, when I think of the pivotal points in my life that has changed me, I often go back to my mission trips. I don't know if you guys have been on mission trips, but if you have gone, then you know what I'm talking about, where you have such memories When you have gone in such a place and served with along with people, making lives and transforming lives. uh, I mean, one pivotal moment for me was in 2001. I was with Discipleship Training School, YWAM Youth with Mission Organization. And they had this DTS program, Discipleship Training School, which was like three months lecture. And then they said that three months was equivalent to like three and a half years of like sermons. It's very intense, a lot of teachings. And then outreach was immediately following two two to three months of outreach. So I spent six months with my, like, co-students, colleagues, and ministry, right? And things happen. When you serve together, when you're arm in arm with somebody on a mission trip, or if you guys are in the military, you guys know what I'm talking about, on a mission, or you've been... Placed for a season, you either hate them or you love them. Like, there is no in-between. You come to a place where you really appreciate those around you in such a deeper brotherly love or you end up hating them. My life was forever changed because of that six months where God has trained me. Not only in knowledge, but to put it into practicum in the application to go. Not only to know God, to make him known. When you know God and apply it into the world and you see God working, something happens within us, within our team. And there is just deeper, deeper relationship. So that was special. And when I think about that relationship, when I think about that team, I mean, it was kind of special because... We had, it was totally international team. We had students from Belgium, England, Tibet, Korea, and of course, U.S. (laughs) People from all over the world with such different backgrounds. But what brought us together was our love for Jesus. What brought us together was our love for God and to obey. And God used that. That common denominator, that was all, that was really the only common denominator of our such vast, different cultural skin and everything in background. All you needed was that one common denominator, and that was to love Jesus. And God will use that for His glory. He brought our hearts together and then transformed lives of of the communities around us. And I'm thinking, That's kind of what I suspect the Israelites had experienced by the time we get to Joshua 22. We have been going through the sermon series on the book of Joshua. You had the Israelites in the wilderness, crossing into the Jordan, coming into the promised land, serving, fighting seven years plus. Battle after battle, city after city. God is doing miraculous power, and they get to this place, this season where now Joshua is passing the baton. He has already distributed the land among the 12 tribes, okay? He has delegated, designated, and said, it is now your turn to take that land. And then we come to a place where, you remember the two and a half tribes of uh, Israel, they were promised the land on the eastern side, so for you it's eastern side (laughs) of the river. And the agreement was You keep fighting. Wow, it's cold in here. (laughs) I have been talking with management. It was okay earlier. Then it just got colder as soon as the service starts. So, Okay. So the two and a half tribes had committed to Moses. Hey, let us have this land on the eastern side of the river. And Moses said, well, the commitment is, I'll give you that land, but you have to keep fighting with your brothers until they take that promise land." You guys with me? They said, okay. And it has been a lo- many years in the making where they finally arrive where the land is given and Joshua says, now you are able to go. He is passing the baton. When I think of that, I, I think of what is going on in Joshua's mind, or heart, to have raised up such a generation, to fight with them, to alongside, them, go on missions with them, and now saying, we're going to say farewell. Now you can go back home. You guys understand? That heart. but it wasn't just about serving together, what happens after, after the farewell. I want to bring to your attention the relationships that has been established, the love that you have for the people that you served with. But what happens after? When you transition, when you go back to your home from your mission trip or school or whatever it may be, how you live reveals a lot of who you are. What happens after reveals a lot of what's in you. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua 22. Joshua 22. I'm going to have scripture for you, but I always welcome, I don't want to make you lazy, okay? I want you to guys to have your Bibles and look in your own scripture so that you can highlight what the Lord may point to you. But I will always have the scripture um, Joshua 22, 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the ESV for you today. At that time Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that the Moses servant of the Lord commanded, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, down to this day, but you have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised. Therefore. Turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So after seven years, after entering the promised land, the land is distributed, it's been passed. Joshua says, it's time. You have been faithful to your commitment. You have been faithful to God. You have been faithful to your brothers. You have been faithful to your leaders, Moses, me you have been faithful. And so we come to this and Joshua is now ready to release these two and a half tribes to return back to their not their home because they really haven't established their home but their families there. Their wives are there, their kids or uh, their brothers who did not fight. They're still there. And he's releasing them why? Because they have been Faithful. They have been faithful to their word, promises, everything that they have been committed to. I want you to know that these tribes were faithful. I want you to consider what that faithfulness even meant. When they said yes to Moses, that they were promised to go into that promise, even though that's not their land, they're going to fight on behalf of the brothers because they have committed. Think about that. They made a contract and they didn't know how long that contract was going to be for. They didn't know when the wars were going to be ending. They didn't know how many lives were going to be lost along the way. But they said they will stick it out until it is time by the Lord himself. Did you know that faithfulness doesn't have an expiration date? Faithfulness isn't about just finishing your season. Faithfulness is about doing what is what you are called to do, what you are committed to, to continue on. Faithfulness is a character, not a time. It, I think in our culture, it's a little bit different. Our culture, we do better with time. We do better with end in sight. Uh, contracts, oh man, we have some people who, I, myself being one of them, I have hard time signing anything. Do you guys ever feel that? Like, Just before you sign a contract, you get really nervous. Am I doing the right thing? You guys ever felt that for a marriage? Before you say, I do, I don't know. I I think this is right, but, oh, this is forever. Contracts, commitment is hard. But if we know that it's only one year or three years or seven years, you know you can keep on until that date. But what about indefinite? What if you have no control over when, when somebody says, now it's done, but you don't know when that's going to be? you guys understand? That was the commitment of these two and a half tribes. They, were, they signed on and said, I commit to the indefinite expiration, and they fulfilled it to the day. They were faithful and faithfulness has no expiration joshua being grateful for this group he blessed them before their departure verse 5 only be very careful to observe the commandments and the law that moses the servant of the lord commanded you to love the lord your god to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart with all your soul So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. I want you to know that before sending them, he admonished them, and then he blessed them. He admonished them, and he blessed them. He said, keep being faithful. Keep being faithful to the Lord as you have been. Keep following the word as you have. Why would Joshua, think about this, why would he tell them to keep, to be faithful when they were already faithful? Why? Because it was their faithfulness that gave them the favor of God in the first place. They have arrived to this place because they have been faithful, because the Lord was with them. And be, now that you are going, now that you, I'm sending you, and I'm not going to be with you I, need you, I want you to keep being faithful because I want the continual Lord's favor and protection and guidance over you. Even though I will not be with you, the Lord will be, and it is by faithfulness that He will. It is, uh, the heart of Joshua here is is like a father. It's like a parent. Oh, okay, I'm going to touch some nerves here. It's like empty nesting parents. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You raise up your son, daughter, from child, you experience the first victories of the scores on some game to some tears in school and the heartaches. You raise up your child so that they will be equipped to handle the things in life. And then they hit that age and they're going away to college or they got a job in another city and you're ready to say farewell. How do you feel? You're ready to be empty nesting and it's not like you're really looking forward to, oh, the house is going to be quiet now. I know mothers who have cried for days sending off their son to college or job. Do you guys know? Oh, you raise up a child and for that moment, when they, they're going to be independent, what do you do? You admonish them. You bless them. And hope that they will continue what, how they have been raised in that life that you have trained them to be so that they will continue to live the life of blessings that you try to provide as a parent. And so Joshua does that. But he doesn't just send them with words of blessing. He gives them a share of the bounty, right? So in verse 8, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with, with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your wealth, in, yeah. divide the spoils of your enemies with your brothers. This is such an eastern thing. I don't know if you guys, if this happens everywhere. My mother does this. When my mother gives me a gift, or he, I have seen her be very generous with others, giving a gift, and the, often the response of the recipients, oh, this is too much. I can't take this. Right? This is what the Koreans do. It's like, oh, you resist the gift. So, oh, this is too much. I, I can't possibly take it. And my mother would say, it's not just for you, you idiot. You know what I mean? No, she didn't say idiot. It's not just for you. I give you a lot so that you can share it to others. No, it's an excuse. It's to bless you. But what she wants is saying, I want you to be a blessing to those around you. I want you to share this. Food. This is happening happened in college. She would bring like feast to co- my college dorm. I'm like, Mom, I can't possibly. It's not just for you. <laughs> share it with your friends. My, my whole floor, like shared in my feast of Korean, like, oh, I didn't know Korean food was so good. Yeah. She gave me extra, not only so I can get my filling, but so I can give to those around me. You guys understand that? That's the love of the mother. Not only I want you to be blessed, I want your cup overflowing, but not only cup overflowing, I want you to be blessing those around you. And that's what Joshua did. He gave them abundance of bounty. Bounty. And it is from this, you got the word, you got the mountain, you got the blessings, you got the stuff, you got the treasure, that he sends them. So after these two and a half tribes left this headquarter in Shiloh, they do something completely unexpected. And this is where the drama kind of happens in the Bible, right? Verse 10 and 11. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, The people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, that two and a half tribes, built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it. Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh had built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, this is the ten tribes, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. You guys hear what I'm, what's going on? They have just left the headquarter with Joshua at Shiloh. They're going towards back east, right? You're, yeah. Ready to cross. And just before they crossed that river, they built this huge altar. It says, of imposing size. Now, what does that imposing size mean? In, in the Hebrew, the literal word is marah, which means great visibility. It's often translated of appearance. So what, what they're saying is, they built an altar that you could see for miles. They built something that was seen. And when the Israelites, the ten tribes, saw it because it was meant to be seen, it was so big, They reacted. What the heck? They just left with blessings. They just left because they had been found faithful. And now they're gonna build an altar and they were ready to wage war and destroy them. Somebody comes along with some wisdom. I think we can talk to them. (laughs) Let's confront this issue. Maybe they will repent and turn from their ways because something's not right here. You guys, I want you to understand this. This is like, have you ever known somebody who is faithful in your church? Because of a job, they were moved to another city. I mean, we're talking faithful deacon or serve team leader, uh, an elder maybe, that, who has impacted lives within your church. And then they go to another city or another place, And then you hear they stop going to church. Then they were going to a Buddhist temple and worshiping an idol or a pastor is visiting his house. What do you do? Right? I'm making that up. But can you imagine somebody you knew who were found to be faithful within your community goes to another city and all of a sudden they have turned 180 degrees. And he's like, oh my gosh, they have really lost their nuts. What do you do with that? Well, that was kind of how the Israelites felt in this moment. They were ready to wage war. They were ready to kill them for what they have done in building of the altar. Verse 16 to 19. So they gathered the 10 who's who of Israel. They got the uh, the priest, they got the tribal chief, like, these are like your senators of each tribe, okay, tribal leaders. And they go to confront, to talk to them in verse 16. What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the... God of Israel, in turning away this day from following the Lord, by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord, have we not had enough of this sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not been cleansed ourselves, and for which they came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, then you too must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. This conversation is, don't you remember what happened in Peor? when their Israelites had sinned by worshiping Baal with the local Canaanites. That caused a plague on their nation. Don't you remember Achan? It's not like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's not just your personal sins will impact you. God, because Israelites was a whole nation under God. They said if we sin, uh, even one person, the whole nation will be judged by God. Are you kidding me? Because you are bringing a curse upon our entire country and your people. That's what they were saying. You know, I, I find this story just really interesting in the Bible. Because whether it was Joshua wrote it himself or he had a scribe who dictate, because, you know, when we say the author like David wrote, or it's not just them literally writing, they had assistants um, who dictated, who scribed what they were given. In the scripture in chapter 22, whether it's Joshua or his scribes, wrote it down in such a way you don't know why these guys, the two and a half tribes, built this altar until you see it in the later. you understand he's a, all we know from this story, as if you just read linear from chapter 22 from the beginning to the end, here's what we have. They cross into the Jordan, they fought, they were faithful, and Joshua blessed them, they were ready to leave. Within weeks or months, we get this altar. That's the timeline. We don't see the reason why, this is just what they did. And then they're like ready to wage war. But what happened? And that's the confrontation. And what happens is we get partial truths. What we get is small revelations, not the full picture. We can only speculate based on the evidence that we see. And and the evidence is, oh, they built an altar. Idolatry. Unfaithfulness. They deserve death. They broke the law. And we often do that. We often see a partial evidence, not the full truth, and we react, we jump to conclusions, we assume, we think we know. But we don't know, fully, right? We see on the news, and this happens all the time. Uh, actually, do you guys remember, um, I'm talking to the older people here, Three's Company? Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is an old show. Sorry, young people. This is an old show. It was a comedy show on TV in the early 80s, and this theme was constant. A person would hear an o- a conversation in another room, over here, something out of context, and then they jump to conclusion, misinterpret it, and then something, the whole drama ensued from the lie, from something out of context, that misinterpretation. It was like every episode, they, it was like that. I don't know how I remember because I was just a kid who could barely (laughs) speak English, but that's what I remember. It was always rumors, rumors of rumors, gossip, or hearing something out of context that led to misunderstanding. And funny thing is, that happens in the church all the time. People see and think we know because we see the evidence. But it really was a misunderstanding. I want to be careful here. Well, let's let's just see what happens in the scripture. In verse 22, upon confrontation, this is the response of the two and a half tribes. They said in verse 22, the mighty one God, the Lord, and I want you to know, it's El, Elohim, and Yahweh. They were invoking the names of God the different titles and that you can't see in the English, but they're like, <laughs> we're acknowledging the one true God. Elohim, Yahweh, the one true God. We're acknowledging that. He says, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. Let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us, kill us, if that's what it was. For building an altar to turn away from, the, from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offering or grain offering or peace offering, may the Lord himself take vengeance. Verse 24, no. But we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, and, and you, people of Reuben and people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. They're afraid their kids are going to be exiled, kicked out apart from this community of faith where God, Yahweh, was the one who lords it all. And they felt this experience of this unity in the one family and the favor of God. And they were saying, we don't want our children to be excluded from this because we have tasted the goodness, right? They are like, oh, this unity, this Love, this camaraderie that we have shared in this mission, being family with God, being at the center. That was so special for us. We didn't want our children to be missing out. That was at the heart of this. Therefore, verse 26, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offering. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Understand the heart of these two and a half tribes. There are They've said farewell to Joshua. They're going back to their land, and their hearts are broken. Can you imagine that? They're ready to cross over that Jordan River. They're ready to say farewell, and they realize, when you see this river that is vast, and and I think the speculation of what the scholars said was that it was probably in a season with the river being higher and bigger. The visibility was Not just about crossing, but once you cross, there's no turning back. There's going to be a divide, a wall, a separation that keeps our people and our future kids from being able to join with them and to be able to experience what we have experienced. And their hearts were broken. What can we do? Because their future generation is going to forget that we were actually part of this family. So they built an altar that would be a witness, be a sign of visibility that when people see it, oh, it was about the unity as a symbolic gesture. I I, I find it that interesting that the document, the Bible documents this. The Bible documents this misunderstanding in the Old Testament, in a whole national level, that 10 tribes saw what they did and they were ready to kill them for it. And when they confronted, even the priest was like, this is okay. We, we see that you've been faithful, you are still being faithful. The, your heart intention, all, all of it, it, it was good. Once they were confronted and realized the whole truth, it's okay, there was no sin. There was still faithfulness. But I find that this was inserted in the story and it could have easily been ignored in, in the documentations of uh, the narrative of the Old Testament. But why did God include that in here? Because in the church, it happens way too often. And I'm not talking about thousands of years ago, I'm talking about today. And you probably know it. Whether it was this church or other church, How many times have you heard people splitting up because of a misunderstanding? How many times have people left the church because of a misunderstanding? How many times people have divided relationships and broken up or hated, fought because of a misunderstanding? Too many times. Too many times. Because too many times people fail to confront if it was true or not. Too many times they didn't like a pastor for what he did or what he didn't do. He should have called me and have left the church because they didn't receive a call. Didn't get an email. Didn't like my post on the Facebook. I will leave the church. Oh my gosh, you think I'm joking? I kid you not. People interpret and reinterpret and misinterpret just because somebody failed to click like or say, I'm praying for you. I was thinking about that the other day. You know, when people post, I need, we need prayer for this mission trip, somebody's sick and all these things. It's a good reminder because I'm praying for them. But if I don't write praying, does that mean I'm not praying? Right? But people are expecting a response, tangible response. I'm praying for you. I'm there for you. Because if they don't, you must meet, You probably don't pray for me then. This is how misinterpretations happen. They didn't call me. They didn't acknowledge me. They didn't post it. They didn't text me that they were praying when I asked for prayer. But you do realize, especially in the Facebook media, it is so vast, and you don't know when they're actually reading it, or what people are responding or what they're thinking. But this is how the world has come to today. That misinterpretation happens more often now than ever before, and how much the church has been divided. And we've had conversations. People, we think, oh, Pastor Eric doesn't like me. Sarah doesn't like me. For whatever situations happen. We love you guys. I, I can't tell you that enough. I love you guys. But I acknowledge I'm not so soft with words at times. (laughs) It could easily be misinterpreted. Even my wife misinterprets me often. But she knows I love her. (laughs) Same thing with my kids. I can be curt, maybe even abrasive because I care about them so much. But that It's because I love them that much. You know, the Eastern tribes, the Reubenites, Gadites, and Manasseh, they kept their word even when they did not know how long that commitment was for. They remained faithful beyond exercise date, even beyond when Joshua said, you are released. I bless you. Go. They remain faithful even beyond that. I want you to know that faithfulness doesn't have an expiration. Faithfulness is not about completing a mission. Faithfulness is a character that comes from who you are within. Even after the transition, even after the season, even after the mission trip is over, faithfulness is who you are. Because faithfulness, the common denominator, is that we seek to be like the one who has saved us. We seek to be like the one who has given us his identity, who made us in his own image, like God himself who came down and saved us and says, because he is faithful, we seek to be faithful. Because he is holy, he has made us holy. Because who he is, that's who we are. It is not about time, it's not about the commitment, it's not about what work we do. The faithfulness is a character that comes from the one who is faithful. Amen? And, and I want you to know that we, he who is faithful is true. He's love. And he said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let me close with this. First Corinthians chapter 13. This is about love. This is often in your wedding, you know, Scripture. But this is who we are as disciples. 1 Corinthians 13:4 love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Any of you guys get easily offended? It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I want you to see that love does not delight in evil. Love does not delight in partial truth, but rejoices with the truth. Full truth. Partial truth is not truth. Full truth is truth. You get the source you confront. If anybody has offended you, hurt you, disappointed you, you confront what happened. There's a whole text on how to confront in Matthew, okay? I think it's chapter 16, correct? 16 or 18. I, I confuse those two chapters, but I'm pretty sure it's one of those two chapters. But if somebody has offended you, you confront them. You confront, you seek the truth because love is about seeking truth. You do not go to war with them. You do not jump to conclusions and say, I'm going to kill them because they deserve it. I see the evidence. You don't jump to that. You seek truth because that's what love is. The two and a half tribes were faithful. The ten tribes were ready to jump the gun. And I want you to know, and this is, I'm pointing out the obvious here. The Israelite in this generation is under Joshua, were the ideal Israelites. They were better than the former generation in the wilderness with their parents who died in the wilderness because of the rebellion, their stiff neckedness. Do you understand? Joshua's generations were born in the wilderness in the supernatural context where they were living miracles after day, every day manna, fire, pillow, cloud. Everything, they saw miracles. They walk with the Lord every day until they promise, they go into the promises, they see God's faithful provisions continuously, right? And they remain faithful. And not just that two and a half tribe, they remain faithful. And we would within that context, the ten tribes jumped the gun and were, was ready to kill them. If they can jump the gun, we can jump the gun. If they can misunderstand situations and ready to kill somebody for, you know, easily we could. But the resolution is seek truth. Ask them, love them, show that you care. Hope that they will repent. It is not about you destroying them and breaking that wall of relationship. It is about reconciliations of oneness because that oneness, ladies and gentlemen, is by one God that we worship in the one spirit. Not that we deserve it, but because it is sweet when we are one. Amen? Because that's who we are. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.